I'm here today with the Reverend Adam Russell Taylor. Adam's new book, A More Perfect Union, A New Vision for Building the Beloved Community, releases next week from Broadleaf Books. Adam is president of Sojourners, an ecumenical Christian organization that works to advance justice and peace. He previously led the Faith Initiative at the World Bank Group, served as vice president of advocacy at World Vision U.S., was co-founder and executive director of Global Justice, and was selected as a White House fellow under the Obama administration. Graduate of the Harvard University Kennedy School of Government and the Samuel DeWitt Proctor School of Theology, Adam is ordained in the American Baptist Church and the Progressive National Baptist Convention and serves at the Alfred Street Baptist Church in Alexandria, Virginia. So Adam, congratulations on your new book and uh, thanks so much for joining us. Yeah, thank you. It's great to be on with you. Um, so you've had a wonderful uh, and impressive background, but maybe you could tell folks just a little bit more about that than what I briefly touched on. Yeah, I mean, I'll kind of start with my origin story, if you will. Um, so much of what has shaped me is having come from a biracial background. My mother is black and my father's white. And they made the very controversial decision at the time to marry each other in 1968 kind of a tragic turning point in our nation's history when Dr. King was assassinated, Robert Kennedy was assassinated. Many people would mark it as kind of the dissolution of the civil rights movement or at least the weakening of it. And my parents really instilled in me this deep and abiding belief that one, I'm, we're all made in the image of God and have inherent worth and dignity as a result. And that diversity including my own diversity coming from a, a biracial background is a real source of strength, not a weakness. It's an asset, not a liability. And so the reason I'm sharing that part of my story is that I really grew up believing that my generation, generation X, but also subsequent generations inherited the unfinished business of the civil rights movement. And that we had to continue to, you know, continue that struggle forward. And that has been one of the kind of frames or one of the sources of inspiration that has very much driven my career and my sense of vocation and calling. And it definitely shaped why I felt compelled to, to write this book. Well, it's great timing, as you and I were discussing before. You know, I mean, I think you originally thought that it might be released earlier, but, uh, you know, it took some time during the pandemic to um, revise it. And, um, you know, I think the timing of it now here in September 2021 is really great. Yeah, no, I think there's some providence maybe in, in the midst of that. Although at the time, if you asked me a couple of years ago, I, you know, probably was a little more frustrated about <laughs> things getting delayed. But, but so much of what kind of led me to, to write this book was the sense that we are at a very critical and potentially dangerous turning point, inflection point in a nation's history may even be put in, put in religious terms, a Kairos moment, a moment of propitious action and change. And, you know, I've been reflecting a lot after rereading Dr. King's final book, Where Do We Go From Here? Chaos or Community, that maybe the pertinent pressing question for us today is where do we go from here, toxic polarization or beloved community? And we are in the midst of an extremely polarized society. I think we're probably more polarized today than we may even have been in the 1960s, uh, around the time that Dr. King was assassinated. 
And there's a lot of different forces that are fueling that polarization. But I really think that we have to find a more shared moral vision that can bridge many of our racial and geographic and cultural divides and, and hopefully enable us to realize that we actually have a lot of shared religious values and civic values that really can be a, you know, source of unity, but also a real source for political and social change. And so is that what the book does is kind of go into detail on some of those different shared values that uh, you're describing? It does. And it, it makes this case that we need to have a more honest understanding of our history and how our history shows up in the present. And it makes the case that we need a, a shared moral vision about the future. And I make the argument that I think the most unifying, compelling moral vision is one that very much animated the civil rights movement. You know, it's the vision of the beloved community, certainly articulated by Dr. King, but also by many other civil rights leaders, from Fannie Lou Hamer to Ella Baker to Bob Moses and, and others. And the reason why I'm so drawn to that vision is that one, it hasn't been co-opted and hijacked yet, at least. <laughs> and I think it's one that pulls some of the best of a more conservative emphasis on community and on you know kind of personal responsibility with some of the best of a more progressive vision on the the critical importance of human dignity and, and and of rights and that at its core at least the way that i define it the beloved community is creating a society where everyone is valued everyone is seen and respected and everyone can thrive and it's creating a society in which neither punishment nor privilege is tied to race to ethnicity, to ableness, to gender, to sexual orientation. And, you know, that does represent a pretty high bar if we really think about what that actually means. But it is a goal that I think the vast majority of Americans would resonate with and would agree to. Absolutely. And so, or agree with. Yeah, absolutely. Totally agree. So um, <clears throat> you've been working on the book, I assume, for a few years before it came out. Um, when, when did you start? Kind of how, what did that process look like? Yeah, so there was kind of this epiphany moment that definitely kind of started the book writing process. But even before that, so, so I will say that, you know, I've, I've been very much influenced by one of my former professors and mentors, Marshall Gantz, who teaches courses at Harvard on organizing. And he emphasizes the importance of what's called public narrative or helping to shape and fuel social and political change, that in many ways we are heavily influenced and inspired by stories and you know, bigger public stories that help give us a sense of who we are. And I think you know, in many respects also give us a sense of what our nation is and what our nation aspires to be. So in the 2016 election, I was deeply concerned and disturbed that this kind of make America great again vision, and you could even describe it as a public narrative, was something that is that was so uh, appealing, and I would say even seductive for a big part of the country. And I would argue that it was a kind of ahistorical and, you know, in many ways distorted, distorted narrative, in part because it was used as kind of a dog whistle to stoke 
concern and fear about the changing demographics in our country and that our greatness was somehow in the past, not necessarily in our present and our future. And so, you know, I really believe that you have to replace a, a broken narrative, a, a destructive narrative with a more inspiring and unifying one. And so 2016 election night, um, I had come home from an election night party. I didn't realize just how much my son at that time, Joshua was five years old, had internalized, even though we did kind of try to shield him for the election, but that's kind of impossible in Washington, D.C. And so he comes into my, my, our room at 3 a.m. with this really distraught look on his face. And he said, Mommy and Daddy, I don't understand what's happening. Who won the election? And, you know, it wasn't official yet, but we replied, you know, we think Mr. Trump won. And his literal response was, I don't understand how someone who has done and said such mean things could win. And I was heartbroken. Him, him and because, a, lot, a lot of us said the same thing. That's right. Well, and, and it's not, and not because I want to be clear that a Republican won or conservative won, but because someone that I really believe is so amoral and narcissistic was able to win the election. I, I still ble I believe that virtue and values do make a difference in terms of public leadership, including at the presidential level. And so, you know, I really felt in that moment that the kind of, and I know this, this phrase has been used a lot, but I, want, I still want to use it, that the soul of our nation was really in jeopardy. And the degree to which President Trump, or then candidate Trump, had been able to appeal to a lot of the worst impulses of America. And the fact that, you know, over 80% of white Christians ended up voting for him, to me, represented a real challenge to the integrity of the church moving forward but also to the fate of our, the health of our democracy moving forward. And I felt in that anguish that I had to kind of leave my comfortable, but still, you know, meaningful role at the World Bank and kind of go back into the world of faith and justice, which is actually what led me about a year later to return to Sojourners as, a, as the executive director. And I kind of entered into a multi-year leadership transition with the founder, Jim Wallace, um, you know, and, and kind of, you know, really shaped the beginning of this book, because in some ways, the book is my attempt to both better answer the question that my son asked, and to provide a kind of prescription or roadmap for how we can redeem and reclaim the best of America's ideals, which have always been compromised. They've always been, you know, very much, um, in a sense, under assault. Right, Exactly. But I don't think that any of us should let go of the beauty and promise of those ideals, the ideals of equality, of freedom, of dignity, of justice. And, and so, you know, the book, in a sense, is kind of my way of trying to share that and, and then to also really unpack what does the beloved community mean for us today? It is a really powerful vision, but we've got to reimagine it. We've got to recast it and put it in a contemporary language for the particular challenges we're facing today, which are different than what we faced in the past. And so I'm, I'm hoping that, you know, we can make what, you know, is a longstanding moral vision be much more kind of real for people today. Sure, sure. Well, good for you for, you know, doing the work, you know, that it takes to write and produce <laughs> a new book. I mean, it's a year, years-long process, and I know it's a huge effort. So um, I'm glad that you persevered to, to make that happen. So um, do I get correctly that John Lewis wrote the foreword to the book? 
Yes, and it's still it's kind of surreal and humbling that that's the case. But, yeah, it's wonderful. Yeah, he literally approved it weeks or days before he went on to glory. So wow. I, I couldn't think of a a better person who has embodied the beloved community his entire career yeah. than John Lewis. Yeah, no, I mean that's really wonderful that he's left some different elements of his legacy like that. Uh, <laughs> very, very fortunate grateful. for you and for all of us. So, you know, uh, part of the audience that uh, this goes out to is our writing for your life uh, audience, which is, you know, a group of folks that are aspiring writers. Um, and I always like to find out how someone got their book deal. You know, you're releasing this with Broadleaf Books. How did that happen? Yeah, um, it happened in part through a relationship that I have with the, well, actually the former chair of our board, Wes Gramber Michelson. Uh, is both you know board member but also a friend and he had gotten a, a book deal with Fortress um, Broadleaf is a signature of Fortress and his editor um, her name is Lil ended up hearing about kind of my work at Sojourners through Wes and learned that I was kind of on a, a path to become the future president of Sojourners and just reached out to make a connection and the, the timing just kind of worked out, you know, really well, where I was already starting to think about a book proposal. This was, you know, after the 2016 election. And she got really excited about what I was describing and what I was imagining. And so that, that led to the book deal. Excellent. Well, good for Lil. Um, she has, by the way, spoken at several of my conferences. And okay. uh, I've interviewed her. I've interviewed Wes about his uh, most recent book about uh, pilgrimage. And that's right. so uh, that's really great to hear that you uh, worked with those folks. <laughs> Good people. Yes, absolutely. So um, if you had to communicate to folks one thing that you'd want them to take away from the book, what would it be? It would be that we are built for community and that we have to work together, maybe even fight together to redeem and preserve the best ideals of this nation. And that in particular, our democracy is very much, I would argue, under assault and at risk. It's not a given. And so, you know, really our democracy is given its strength and resilience because of the power of we the people. And so we have to continue to expand who that includes to ensure that liberty and justice for all is not selective and only includes some Americans, but not others. And that this is a moment where we really have to come together in order to become, I think, the America that our constitution kind of calls for but also that our deepest religious values call for. And there's a great deal of, of alignment there, but again, it's up to us to, to make that happen. Yeah, absolutely. So um, kind of looking forward, uh, is there anything you can talk about in terms of future Sojourner programs or future books that you're thinking about writing or anything of that nature? Yeah, so we're doing a lot of work at through Sojourners to try to safeguard our democracy and to protect voting rights. Um, there are nearly 400 bills in 48 states that would further restrict the right to vote. We're seeing a real retrenchment of voter suppression efforts after the 2020 election 
And unfortunately, in part as a response to the big lie that the last election was stolen. So there's a lot of work that we're doing, particularly in 10 key states, including Florida and Ohio and Texas and Georgia and others, where we're equipping and mobilizing faith leaders, not just Christian leaders, but of other faith traditions as well, to really be that conscience, that moral force that both you know, helps to educate people about their rights, helps to register people to vote, and then ultimately helps to advocate for voter protection. I'm really hopeful, this is a little bit more in the immediate term, that we can build enough political will to pass the John Lewis Voting Advancement Act, which will literally be decided in October, most likely. So there's a huge need for support for that. We're also continuing to kind of grow our publications and hopefully our reach, trying to reach both a younger audience, but also kind of continue to be relevant for our older audience as well. Um, we're doing a lot of, of work to really try to combat this kind of dangerous resurgence of white Christian nationalism, certainly that we saw rear its head on the horrific January 6th insurrection at the Capitol, and to better work to better equip and, and, and enable the church to disciple people into a commitment to anti-racism, into a greater commitment to justice, which has always been a part of our mission. But we're trying to be more intentional about how to equip churches and church leaders to do that work effectively. And we, we've designed a new curriculum for what are called divided congregations. So these are kind of politically divided congregations that are struggling with kind of how to embrace a greater commitment to justice without further dividing their church. And, and actually, we really believe that that can be done, needs to be done, and actually could be the best way that we rehabilitate the image and integrity of the Christian witness going into the future. Well, that's all really wonderful work, Adam. I'm, I'm really glad to hear about it and um, hope, hope we can support it, however um, makes sense. You know, certainly the uh, Compassion Christianity audience, the How to Heal Our Divides audience, uh, you know, within my neck of the woods are very much alignment with, uh, with that work. So uh, congratulations uh, on all of that and on your new role and on your new book. And um, where can people learn more besides uh, sojo.net, obviously, is, uh, is one place. But what about your website? Yeah, so we, you know, if you go to sojo.net backslash ampu for a more perfect union, you can learn more information about the book. We're actually about to put up a, a great promotional video it does a good job of capturing the book in images and, and words. And you can pre-order the book now. It comes out formally on September 14th. And I can't wait to engage with as many audiences as I can. I mean, I really wrote this book to be a catalyst to spark courageous conversation about how we build the beloved community together and to highlight that there's already a, a beloved community revolution that's happening. It's not always in the headlines. It's sometimes under the radar screen. But there are so many amazing initiatives and, and, and organizations that are doing beloved community-like work. I want to be able to shine a spotlight on that and ultimately create greater momentum. Well, that's exactly what the book that I published a few months ago called How the Heal Our Divides was intended to do. It's focused on organizations that are actually doing things, taking action to heal different types of divides. And so uh, we're, we're in uh, high alignment on that uh, need now. So, uh, so again, the name of the book is A More Perfect Union, A New Vision for Building the Beloved Community. It releases from Broadleaf Books on September 14th from Adam Taylor. 
So Adam, thanks so much for joining us and uh, congratulations and best wishes. Thank you, Brian.